Welcome to the Women's Bible Study Podcast, a ministry of Sheridan House. We continue today in the series, Reflection, a Study of Philippians. If you missed any part of this series, you can find it and others online at sheridanhouse.org backslash WBS. We hope you enjoy today's lesson. It, it was just um, a wonderful time to get away, and guess what we saw? Fall leaves. Can you believe it? So anyway, um, and I got um, lessons studied, which was wonderful, and um, so we had a wonderful time, but it's good to be home. And wow, is that Sarah something or what? And um, God has just, that is such a wonderful provision of the Lord that he has given us these three gals who are, you know, next generation girls coming up who are amazing teachers, crazy, wonderful. So um, Stephanie, and you've already enjoyed, um, you know, Sarah last week and Heather a couple weeks ago. So um, it's just such a blessing to me that to just be able to, but I'm here all the time. I'm like, okay, Wednesday morning, it's about 10:15. okay. Sarah's about to walk up to the mic, and are they listening hard, and you know, all those kind of things. So it, I'm here with you all the way anyway. So I might as well just stay here. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so today we are talking about reflecting concern, reflecting concern. We have been talking a lot, two weeks ago we learned and pondered the beauty and the grandeur, and those are words that are just way too small to describe what Jesus did and does for us on a daily basis and will do in the future for us. And then last week, Sarah uh, helped us un understand and learn how we are to live in light of all that Jesus did for us, to shine as lights in a dark world. And that was a challenge. Okay, this is what Jesus has done. This is his love for us and his sacrifice and all the things that he did that we learned about in the beginning uh, earlier in the chapter. And now, okay, then how does that reflect in my life? How do I then live in light of all that Jesus did? How do I become a light in a dark world? And do you feel like the world is getting darker and darker every day? It's just crazy. And I'm saying, Lord, if this is the day you're coming back, good come on, <laughs> and um, because it does seem to be getting darker and darker all the time, and so as the world gets darker, we need to shine even brighter, don't we? So that was just such a powerful lesson. Kent Hughes, one of the great commentators on many of the New Testament books, says this, now, Paul gives us flesh and blood examples of the selfless conduct to which he is calling the Philippian church. So now, in light of all that we've pondered about what Jesus did and all that we are now um, challenged to do, he says, so now Paul gives us a flesh and blood example. And next week, we're going to be looking at another flesh and blood example. But today, we're going to be looking at the life of Timothy, who was such an example of being a light in a dark world. And we're going to take a look at why um, what it was about Timothy's life that was so challenging. And for us as uh, looking into his life to say, hey, you know, that's what I need to do as well to reflect concern. So first of all, on your outlines, who are our heroes? A few weeks ago, we talked about how we need to be so careful as American Christian women to not idol worship other human beings, didn't we? We talked about that. 
Um, and sometimes we get to the point of almost fascination. Oh, wow, I hear so-and-so is going to be such and such, and we, we kind of get almost fascinated with that. But the pivotal word there that I think is interesting that we need to think about is idol worship. <laughs> idol. Um, they are not real, are they? And so for us to worship them is totally wrong. We can worship an idol of another human being, even though human beings do. Anyway, um, but also God does place people in our lives to be examples and heroes for us, to look into their lives, to look for how they succeeded in life, to point us to God, not hero worshiping. There's only one that we worship, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, obviously. But not to idolize and make idols of them, but to help us in our journey to exemplify godly living, to shine as lights, to show us, okay, what is it about that person that, that, uh, that shines such a light in the dark world? And how, what can I learn from that person? So God does encourage us, and that's what the whole point of this passage is he encourages us to look into other people's lives to see how they can um, encourage us along our journey as well of course our ultimate hero wow is the Lord Jesus and guess what we are to worship that wonderful hero in our lives and I think next to maybe this this Philippians uh the, ch the chapter 2 description of Jesus. And I think another powerful one of my favorites is John 1, 1, that says, you don't need to look it up, but you might want to jot it down. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Wow, that's a pretty incredible description of who Jesus is, right? He is our ultimate hero. And we studied um, how all that our hero did for us a couple of weeks ago. But they're also, so he's our first hero, of course, and we want to analyze his, his life and look into it and study it, and, and that's what we do here on our Wednesday morning. But also, there are other biblical characters that God has given us. Part of the... Some of the most favorite parts of the Old Testament for me are looking into the lives of great women in the Old Testament. Ruth, for goodness sake, wow, she's amazing. And, and Hannah in 1 Samuel and how she dealt with some of the, the challenges in her life. And I love Esther, wow, such a brave woman. And looking into those, those um, biblical characters, none perfect, but character traits that we can learn from and apply to our lives so that we can live as lights in the world. Perhaps world figures as well. There may be people in, you know, throughout the world that we can look up to. You know that I've talked about this many times before, but Mother Teresa to me is just, wow, a, a role model because of her, you know, the, the incredible difference that she made in Calcutta, India in the lives of homeless and dying. Amazing. Recently, I learned about another woman, national figure. Uh, she wasn't, but she now is being uh, held up as a national figure, Irina Sendorowa. And she um, lived during the World War II era, 
she was a Polish social worker who saved 2,500 Jewish babies and children from Nazi death camps. She was honored by the Polish parliament as a national hero. She changed the identity of the children she rescued from a Warsaw ghetto and placed them in Polish homes. She and her team smuggled the children out by hiding them in ambulances, taking them through sewer pipes, um, taking them, wheeling them out on a trolley in suitcases and boxes. The Polish president said she would be nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize and was a great hero. She said, the term hero irritates me. She said, I continue to have pangs of conscience, conscience that I did so little. At 98 years old, she died, still using crutches that she had needed because her feet and legs had been broken by the Gestapo. Hero, hero, hero. What were the qualities of her life? What are the people around us? Uh, what are the qualities that they have lived out in front of us that help us to know how to be lights in that world, in the world? Also, personal ones. You all have your personal ones. I have mine. Um, both my grandparent mothers were huge in my life. Again, not perfect but they had character traits that I want to apply in my life. Recently, I told you about my dad's mom who um, sent her only child and his children to the mission field and, um, and it, with her blessings and joy. My other grandmother was also big in my life. Having grown up in a very affluent southern home, she left it all to go to rural China and um, with my grandfather, they rode in wheelbarrows into the villages to evangelize the people. Then later, as I talked about a couple weeks ago, they went on to Korea and you know founded that amputee center and so forth and so on. But anyway, they were, they were big in my life. I would sit down and sometimes tape them. In the day, we would tape them on like um, tape recorders. Do you all, re anybody remember those? Good, that makes me feel better. But anyway. Um, so I would tape her stories because they were so profound. Was she perfect? No. I can tell you some of her imperfections. She can tell you some of mine, too, by the way. But anyway, um, uh, but she was so big in my life, her character traits. And I want to emulate some of those things that I've seen in personal um, heroes. Another one is Bob. Is that okay for me to say that about my husband? Okay. Um, the personal sacrifices over the years that he's made for the family's sake. And then also, um, one thing, don't tell him I told you this, this is a secret, Shh. but he hates conflict and confrontation, hates it. And yet, guess what his job has been a lot, <laughs> as he's been at Sheridan House and as an interim pastor out there in our community, confrontation and conflict is often a big thing, but because he knows that that's a calling in his life, he has to do that. So we all have these people who have made a huge impact on our life. And in this next section of Philippians, Paul presents heroes for us to ponder. Again, these heroes are not perfect. They're not Jesus. But they are people that had certain character traits that we can try to apply in our own lives prayerfully in our own lives. So next on your outline, what was Paul's purpose? 
we see Paul's tone suddenly change, and he presents two heroes. Why? A on your outline, to punctuate his rich teaching. What again were some of his rich, rich teachings that he has taught us so far? Well, first of all, um, one of them in the beginning of chapter 1, verse 27, it says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then in 2.15, then may you be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And so what he does is he presents two heroes that illustrate some of these truths that he has been teaching us through the beginning parts of this book of Philippians. But first, number one, let's take a look. What were some of his themes so far? Let's review them. In his early verses, in this chapter, verses 1 through 4, Paul tells the Philippians how to live worthy lives of the gospel. He viewed this as important as he presented the ultimate example, Jesus, in verses 5 through 11. Then based on Jesus' example, he once again re, uh, refocuses his call for the church to work worthy of the gospel in verses 12 through 18. As he punctuate the, punctuates his teaching, he reminds them, number one, he knows who is in control. Number two, sorry, who is in control? Number one, we were talking about some of his themes. Number two, who is in control? And so he begins this section with verse 19, the, the start of it, the beginning of it. A, I hope in the Lord Jesus, or I love it in the NLT, it says, if the Lord is willing. Now, some of you know our beloved um, administrative assistant, Benetta, one of her favorite sayings. Um, Lord willing, you know, Bob will say, hey, See you on Monday, and she'll say, Lord willing. And somebody said in the kitchen, um, if the creek don't rise. I don't know if you've ever heard that part of it. <laughs> but anyway, she doesn't say that part, but she's always saying, Lord willing. And what a great statement to make, isn't it? Um, in other words, A, he knew, Paul, that all of his life was up to God. If the Lord is willing. Lord willing. What a relief that is. For example, this past summer... Um, we were away, and um, Bob got a phone call from a friend of his who is the head of the maintenance, or not maintenance, service department of Toyota. And he said, I just was calling to tell you your car was ready. And actually what happened was he had been fixing Tori's car and called Bob by mistake. And the crazy thing is that Tori's name is no longer Tori Barnes, it's Tori Roberts. And so for him to make that mistake and get the numbers mixed up, uh, a B and an R, uh, was just very unusual. And so Bob said, you know what, I think this is a God thing. And I think I'm supposed to be paying this bill. Which Tori was thrilled about, of course. <laughs> Don't we have the tendency we find an excuse to be able to pay the bills, right? Anyway, but, um, you know, he, God was in control of that. That the phone call came in in a crazy way. And so God, uh, uh, Bob knew that that was a God thing. And he sensed it. God is in everything. He, he knows that our lives are in his hands. Wow, what a relief now that there's no, we don't need to worry about tomorrow. Can I say that again? We don't need 
to worry about tomorrow. Boy, don't we do it though? Wow. We need to remind ourselves if God is in control and if he loves me as much as he does, illustrated by all that Jesus did, then can we say to each other, God is in control of our tomorrows. God willing, God willing, whatever he has going on, he is in control. He's in control of our tomorrows. So we can trust him with our todays and our tomorrows. He is in control. We can trust in his goodness. After we studied all that we did, the beginning of this uh, chapter, we can trust him to do what is best. And see on your outline, he knew, Paul, he knew life is peaceful when it's in control. Life is peaceful when he is in control. He he felt totally, Paul felt totally at peace because he knew that God was totally in control. Yes, he was sitting in a prison. Yes, he was, he was um, chained to a guard. Yes, he did not know if he'd be alive the next day. But guess what? He knew God is in control. And so you, we, you hear the peace in his life exuding through these verses in Philippians. He felt totally at peace because he knew God was in control. What better hands to put our lives in what better hands to put our lives in so Paul is punctuating his teaching and then B Paul knew his life was not about him not about him he was not sending selfies of himself chained to a guard to get everybody's pity and concern um, uh, he, he was saying you know there's more about my life than me and so what he does is, number one, when he knew that life was not about him, and that, number one, there is no fear for the future or the present, the present or the future. We know who's in control, so every aspect of our lives, number two, there is freedom from self-focusing to focusing on others. Let me say that again. If God is in control, if there's no fear for the present or the future, then two, there is freedom from self to focusing on others. We can reflect concern. If God is taking care of everything, if he is totally capable of my future, then I can relax about trying to make everything happen in my life and go the way I want it to go and be comfortable in this and comfortable in that. I can just breathe and get focused on somebody else. I can pour my life into somebody else. What a freedom, what a freedom. When I am free from self and worry about me and making my life happen, then I'm free to focus on the needs of other people. I don't have to consume, be consumed about me, 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 making sure everything happens. Paul is teaching a progression here. Beginning of verse 19, he is saying, if the Lord is willing... And then we are freed from focusing, focusing, we are freed to focus on others. We're free to be not so focused on me, I can, I can focus on other people. If the Lord is willing, then I can focus on somebody else. Number three, there is a focus on others that presents God-honoring traits. Look at the rest of verse 19. I hope in the Lord, or the Lord willing, to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Instead of focusing all about Paul, 
he says, I'm sending someone else to you. I'm sending somebody to you to minister to you. And hopefully through that, I will get word from you as well. So then he begins to develop uh, Timothy's character. We're going to look at that in just a minute. But first, A on your outline, let's take a look. Who in the world was Timothy? Who was Timothy? We learn a little of his background in uh, Acts 16, 2 through 8. And I know all of you did your homework totally and completely, and you learned some of those things. But anyway, he was the son of a Jewish believer in Derby in Lystra, but his father was Greek. He was not a believer. B, what was his connection to Paul? According to 2 Timothy 1-2, Paul considered him as his own son. And we learn that in Paul's second return to Derby in Lystra, he enlisted Timothy to be one of his co-laborers. He, he, had, he had come to the Lord early on when, he was first, when Paul was first in uh, Derby and Lystra, and then when he came back again, he enlisted Timothy to serve with him. Why? What was it that had happened? What was it that Paul observed? What were, next on your outline, the character traits presented? What did Paul see in Timothy's life? Mark Bachmuel says this, Paul's assessment was there was no one like Timothy who would genuinely be concerned for their Philippi's welfare one who would give active interest and practical care that Paul desired to be shown. First, so one of the first character traits that we see in him, A, concern for others. Concern for others. Timothy reflected concern for others. Look at verse 20. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Timothy naturally was concerned about other people's. He was genuinely um, concerned for their physical and spiritual well-being. The use of the wor term word concern uh, says it all. He was wonderfully anxious about the welfare of the Philippians in a good way. He wasn't like, oh no, what's going to happen? But his heart was there. He, he was expressing and feeling a deep concern that everything was okay back home. He had that heart of concern. He, was, uh, he, he had um, the, the gift of concern for others. How does that genuine concern develop? Uh, number one, it naturally flows out. It naturally flows out. When we allow the fruits of the Spirit to flow out of us, genuine concern for others will flow out. I think every week we talk about this in some way, but in Galatians 5.22, it talks about when we become believers and when the Holy Spirit begins to live within us, what happens is the fruits of the Spirit begin to show themselves in our life. Isn't that wonderful news? We don't have to conjure that up, that if we just allow the Holy Spirit to do it, it will flow out of our lives. What are they again? Say them with me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I'm always trying to memorize those because it never fails as I'm repeating them to myself. Rather than having eight, it'll be like six. I'm like, must be the one I really need help with, goodness or something. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Is that one of the fruits of the spirit memory? I don't know. But anyway, so, but here's something very interesting. As I was studying this this time, I, for the first time, 
noticed afresh and anew verse 24 and 25. That was uh, Galatians 22. But following that, it says this, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Isn't that interesting? It's not just about, you know, saying, okay, Holy Spirit, just flow out of me. It's not about that. It's about saying, okay, the things that come to me naturally, I need to make sure that they are not flowing out. I need to, it's a very strong word, crucify them. Wow. In other words, uh, kill them. Don't have them flowing out. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, let's let him flow out in those fruits. As we allow the Holy Spirit to flow out of us, those fruits will flow out more and more in our lives where our agendas and plans pale in comparison to what God has for us to do. Have you ever had this happen to you? Please say yes so I feel better about it. But have you ever been very busily doing things that are so important like laundry? And your cell phone will ring and you go, oh, no, it's my friend and she's just going through such a rugged time. But could she call me when I'm not doing the laundry, for goodness sake? <laughs> this is important stuff. And sometimes we get so um, uh, far from kingdom business when we should just be putting it down saying, laundry, are we kidding? It's going to be there tomorrow and next week and the week after that and blah, blah, blah. Uh, not to allow ourselves to feel interrupted when God brings kingdom work into our lives. That's part of the, the fruits of the Spirit flowing out of our lives. So God allows concern to develop in our lives through allowing the Holy Spirit to flow out. And then, number two, it naturally spills out to others. This is what Paul is saying about Timothy. He's watched it flow into the lives around him. He's seen it happen. He saw it happen. And that he, the concern was just flowing out of him. How about us? Is the Holy Spirit directed concern flowing out of my life into my husband? Into my children? How about my neighbors? How about co-workers? How about church family? Is it flowing out? Or how about strangers? That's an interesting one, isn't it? Especially here in South Florida. You know, one of the things that we observe about North Carolinians is they are the most friendly. You know, you're driving down the street, they say, hey, you know, and they, they let you in line, you know, at a stop sign or whatever. And there's just this friendliness. And um, even to strangers, you know, you're, you, you're walking along and they'll wave, good morning, you know, and all that kind of thing. And Bob and I said, you know what? We ought to... Um, Maybe bring some of that friendliness to strangers back to South Florida and startle people. And um, because I'll never forget one of the first times I went into a grocery store um, in North Carolina and this man opened the door for me. And what do you think was my first uh, thing to do? Grab my purse. <laughs> and I thought, 
And here he was just being a chivalrous gentleman, you know what I mean? And so I thought, I'm going to do that. And so in the mornings for my exercise, I walk as fast as I possibly can, which is not always that fast. But anyway, um, I walk, and uh, I will walk past people right on the, I mean, practically touching them arm to arm. And they'll act like, you know, I, uh, there's a fly flying by them or something like that. And so what I do is I walk along and say, good morning. <laughs> and they're like <laughs> startled and freaked out. Um, but, you know, to pour out some of that friendliness here in South Florida, even if we don't have a, an opportunity to hand them a track on how to become a believer, still, if we can just pour out that goodness, concern for other people and making a difference, being the best part of somebody's day, even if we don't have an opportunity, but, and maybe God will, maybe someday I'll be walking along and say good morning and somebody will come and say, how come you're so friendly and why do you say good morning to me every day? Do you, are you a Christian? Maybe that'll happen. I don't know. Probably not, but... Anyway, it's such a picture of the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. Do you remember that story that Jesus told about how this uh, Samaritan man was, uh, I mean, a Jewish man had been attacked by thieves and so forth, and he was lying practically dead on the side of the road, and all these hoity-toity religious people walked by him and said, ooh, I better not touch him, you know, all that kind of thing. And here, the most despicable to the Jewish community was the Samaritan. And who was the one that stopped and said, hey, how can I help? And let me put you on my horse or donkey or whatever it is. And let me take you to the, the closest um, hotel. And let me make sure that you're taken in at that time. Let me sh make sure that you're taken care of. And let me dig deeply into my pocket and, and give you money, um, innkeeper, so that if there are any needs in this man's life, I want to do it. That was Jesus' illustration to us, expressing concern, reflecting concern for the people around us. That was the first character characteristic. Second character trait of Timothy, be authenticity. Authenticity. Look at the first part of verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth. In other words, Paul is saying he's proved himself. When he first met Timothy in Derby and Lystra, he left him to be a part of that church fellowship to grow. He had just become a Christian. And so he says, okay, you just, you know, get plugged in here. Learn what it means to follow Jesus. Learn what it means to um, understand some of the scrolls and the scriptures from the Old Testament. And you begin to grow, grow, grow in your fellowship. And when he got back, Paul, to the area, he was thrilled to find out how well respected he was by that church com community in Lystra and um, Derby. And so he, was, he would then become a part of the ministry team to Macedonia to Corinth and to Ephesus because he had proven to be authentic, that his faith was deep and real and it was flowing out of him in concern for other people. He had proven his heart for ministry and his reliability, which brings us to the third character trait that Paul presents, and that's C, shared ministry. Verse 22 through 24. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father... He has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it goes with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Notice particularly the second part of 2022. 20, like a son, Timothy served him in... <clears throat> served with him in the gospel clearly like a son and a father. Timothy had learned by watching, 
listening to instruction and doing what his mentor teacher hero had taught him again was paul perfect no but what timothy watched him how is he how does he do that how does he have that attitude how is he growing in the lord how can i be more and more like him and he was watching his mentor um, that was like a father to him so paul then totally trust him with shared ministry. He had the joy in the midst of difficulty sometimes. Uh, Timothy was with Paul and some of the crazy things that happened to Paul as he was serving in, uh, in the ministry field of serving with Paul in some of the, his most difficult assignments. Timothy is mentioned at least 24 times in Paul's letters. 24 times in Paul's letter. Perhaps the greatest honor was to become Paul's replacement when he was called to heaven. Paul had himself wanted to go to Philippi, but he had to send Timothy in his place. Not only was Timothy his son and mentoree, he became his substitute. He is now revered and held up by Christians today, something he would have never dreamed because he was so busy serving and pouring his life in ministry to the Lord wouldn't it be something for him well he knows today because he's in heaven with jesus but you know timothy i want to tell you something years down the road in 2019 they're going to be a group of women <laughs> sitting around tables full from breakfast um talking about you and talking about your qualities and being um, mentored by who you were. He would never in a million years have believed that. Today he knows it because he's in heaven. But wow, amazing. He so exemplified this quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You may be familiar with that man who was also a big in uh, World War II era uh, German. And um, he, there's an, if you're interested and if you love biographies, there's an amazing biography about his life and what he went through. But listen what, to what he said. He said, we must be ready to be interrupted by God. It is part of the discipline of humility that we must not spare our hand where it can perform a service and that we do not assume that our schedule is our own to manage but allow it to be arranged by God. Isn't that amazing? I think it's in your book, right? Um, and he's a great modern day example of a hero who put the interests, interests of the gospel and concern for Jesus above his own. He truly practiced what he preached. I want you to listen to something about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. But what happened was he had, he had come to the United States of America during World War II trying to get some help for the church uh, back in Germany, which was going against Hitler. And there's all kinds of things going on within that church. And so when he got to America in New York City, he all of a sudden thought, okay, should I stay here? There's several opportunities here. Or should I go back to Germany and continued my work with that very troubled church over in Germany because Hitler does not like that church um, growing and, and making a difference in the lives of the people around. And after consideration, he thought, you know what, my place is there. And so he left the safety and all the things that he could have done here in the United States, he could have made a huge impact over here. He said, I need to go back to my people. So guess, guess what happened 
to Dietrich Bonhoeffer when he got back here to, to, uh, to Germany. He became one of the martyred Christians in Nazi Germany. He probably knew what was going to happen to him if he went back to Germany, but he felt called to go back. His, his reflection of concern overpowered his desire for safety. Wow, what an example. Again, you know, we worship only Jesus, but taking qualities that we see in people around us and applying them to our lives. How about you and me? Is there an integration in what we say we believe and how we behave that we are putting the cause of Christ above our own? We need mentors and heroes, again, not idol worship, but people to look at, to model for us. Certainly not perfect, but courage to stay the mark. And here's the thing that is really frightening. People are watching you and me. People are saying, I want her to be my mentor. Isn't that a scary thought? It's truth. We have spheres of influence that God has brought into our path, and we have an obligation to reflect concern. We, need, we have the obligation to look into our lives and say, Holy Spirit, would you flow out with your fruits so that I could be a Timothy to those people? I feel totally inept to do this. I'm sure Timothy would too if he had known that. Would you give me the strength? Would you give me the perspective? Would you give me that reflection of concern so that I can make a difference in the lives of the people that you've placed in my path? Key, Philippians 2.15 that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world.